Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm J.M. West, author of the Carlisle Crime Cases and series of four, Dying for Vengeance, Fording Doubt in Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and How to Die in Fall, featuring homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. Now available on Kindle, and the series have even bundled together for $11.96. My newest book, Things Strangled, will be released early in 2019, I hope. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Uh, I write the Alexa Williams series of books uh, featuring a, lo- a young lawyer who keeps getting involved in dangerous situations. Dead of Autumn, Dead of Spring, Dead of Summer are the books. Dead of Winter is scheduled for release in February 2019. Uh, Sunbury Press's mystery imprint, Milford House, publishes our mystery and suspense novels today on the Milford House Mysteries. Jody and I are going to discuss creating villains. Uh, We call it violence in villains. And as we know, mystery fans are legion, in part, I think, because if we want to see the protagonist prevail or if the villain dominates. The killer receives our undivided attention. It could be because of the aura of violence surrounding him or her, the danger to the unsuspecting victims, or how about the thrill of the chase? Do we follow the hunt or the hunted? With authors often turning in tables and with the victim turning the avenger, do we want justice, revenge, or the chaotic world balanced again? Well, despite our reasons, we can all agree that villains in mystery and suspense novels are almost always violent. As I mentioned in a previous podcast, Today, our examples come from authors who works who may not appear on top of the bestseller list, but show a creative dynamism equal to that of those A-listed authors like David Baldacci, John Grisham, Lisa Gardner, or Brad Thor. As writers of crime fiction, of mystery and suspense, um, we put extensive thought and research into our killer and his background. Um, and when I say we, I'm really talking about authors, not just Jody and me. Um, y- you may be surprised to learn that many authors develop a backstory on our villains, some of which is never actually written on the page, but contributes to our understanding of the character uh, as we're writing. Uh, the backstory delves into a lot of questions. Uh, what has made the villain into a person who can commit violence or murder? Uh, that's sort of the biggest one. And, and this backstory, um, you know, the thing you could call it would be maybe the driving motiva- motivation for the villain. It can be a vast topic. Uh, you can look at things in your backstory like the killer's economic, social, and family background, um, some of the early childhood experiences, 
the mode or the type of violence that they commit. Uh, of course, that's important to the book. Uh, or you can, another way of looking at that is what their criminal offense is specifically. Uh, and also the effect that the violence has on the villain's victims. Um, other aspects that authors uh, may incorporate into the development of a villain and the overall plot of our books um, include, uh, you know, the role of law enforcement in the justice system, both in the villain's past and also in the response to the crime. Uh, you know, what forensic technology can tell us about the villain. Um, or maybe flip it over. Sometimes the villain uses technology in some special way. Um, gender and the psychology of violence um, can also be employed by authors as we flesh out our villain's character. And much has been written about the psychology of violence, uh, from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Jack the Ripper to the studies of actual serial killers like Gary Gilmore, Charles Manson, the son of Sam, Berkowitz, Ted Bundy, Jeff Dahmer, and Ted Kuzensi, just to mention a few, you know, a few of the more famous ones. Uh, writers of mystery genre have a good grasp, well, they must have, I think, a good grasp of the range of traits that a murderer can possess, not only to make him believable, but also to look and examine at what causes, what chain of events cause him or her to kill. The literature on violence touches such core items as demographics, um, that they will say mostly white males between the ages of 20 and 40, uh, the individual history and personality uh, includes biolog biological background, uh, mental, physical disabilities, if any, family dynamics, and the society's role in forming the character. This would include support, you know, home life, work, stressors, and triggers of what set the killer off. And it also includes the clinical, which is the purview of the psychologist or FBI's behavioral analysis unit. And also the legal ramifications within our justice system um, or the mental state of the killer at the time of the crime. Personality <clears throat> excuse me, development begins, as we know, when an infant learns to adjust to himself and his environment. You know, something such as affection is lacking, that individual can be stunted. And he may even lack, or she, may lack the capacity to form close relationships. We've all heard of the following the villain archetypes and their backgrounds are the most common characteristics, which includes dominant or abusive parents, like in Psycho, extended family members, coaches, neighbors, priests, you know, like pedophiles, cannibalism, you know, think Hannibal Lecter, fetishes or obsessions like Jack the Ripper, psychosis and cults, helter-skelter is an example, and finally, personality disorders, like in primal fear. I'm sure that most of our listeners out there, um, most of you read mysteries and suspense. Um, you watch uh, some of the many cop or crime shows that are on TV uh, or have been to at least one movie that involves a villain. So, you know, you're all very familiar, I'm sure, with some of the more common aspects, often bordering on tropes or caricatures. 
that surface about villains' personalities. Uh, you know, how often, as the story unfolds, have have we learned that uh, the villain or the killer has had a troubled past, perhaps has had neglect or abuse at home. Um, often uh, there were juvenile arrests in his past. Uh, he defied authority. He had problems in school. Um, many villains are, 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 you know, sort of characters, uh, are loners. Uh, they detest social norms. Um, often they exhibit strange behaviors uh, before uh, they do something really nasty. Uh, the villain could have a psychological disorder. Um, this is pretty often uh, portrayed as well. A learning disorder, um, perhaps uh, uh, some sort of conduct disorder that uh, their behavior is, is out of the range considered uh, typical. Uh, communication disorders, um, you know, multiple personalities uh, was a real big one there for a while. Anxieties or phobias such as uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, he and sometimes she could be aggressive, impulsive, hostile, rebellious, destructive. Um, even though these themes can be overused, uh, as Jody said. Some of this is based on the research of real murder, murders and the expertise that the, the FBI has developed over the years, especially um, about serial killers and other, like, really uh, very bad guys who are real, not, not on the written page. And at the Behavioral Analysis Unit at Quantico, the experts have files on the worst sociopaths and psychopaths in our nation's history. Just look at the TV show Mindhunters, which traces the formation of the BAU. Um, this, is a true, uh, this is a true story. Um, the criminals demonstrate, can demonstrate any of the following. Lack of empathy for others, sadistic behavior. They're intelligent, but often narcissistic, temperamental, Manipulative, power-hungry, many are habitual liars, um, often suffer from substance abuse, drugs or, drug or alcohol. Sound familiar? The true psychopath is selfish, antisocial, egocentric, who feels no guilt for his crimes. He persuades himself that ordinary people are just props for his fantasies and lesser beings and therefore expendable. He's able to rationalize his unlawful behavior, transfer guilt to the victims, and it seems very indifferent to the plight of others. A novel that does a great job of painting a portrait of a psychopath is in Rachel Kane's The Stillhouse Lake Mysteries. In a bizarre scenario, the wife of a serial killer, Gina Royal, she flees her home with her children to form a new, new identity, apparently unaware that her husband was a sadistic murderer until he was arrested. And as the police question and the media confront her and you know, charge her as an accomplice, she realizes that her only hope is relocation. So, you know, this book is a good example um, because, you know, she didn't know in this book that her husband was a serial killer until it was too late. So not all killers are the flamboyant or seriously creepy uh, characters that are often portrayed in novels and film. 
you know, not every murderer likes his victims with fava beans and a nice Chianti. In contrast, many villains can appear quite ordinary. Um, you know, their undesirable traits are hidden beneath a veneer of civility. Or, in fact, they may be quite ordinary until something pushes them over the edge. Because of their sort of ordinary um, aspect, they don't stand out or attract attention to themselves. Uh, and that's one reason that police detectives or whoever the investigator is, um, often in novels it's uh, an amateur or, or private detective, um, that's one of the reasons that uh, they have such difficulty in identifying and capturing them. Uh, and while perhaps not ordinary, it's all too common for people to be killed in gang killings, drive-by shootings, and more. Uh, in a 2015 report, the FBI stated that one-third of all murders are not solved. That's increased now uh, because 50 years ago, only 10% went unsolved. Of course, in mystery and suspense novels, the killers are almost always caught. Um, they're tried and they're punished by detectives, PIs, rogue FBI agents, CIA or other federal agents, reporters, medical examiners, psychologists, individuals, or even the victims. You know, in, the, in a good novel, almost anybody can be the one who tracks down a villain. Uh, but if the killer escapes in the end of the novel or goes free, um, it's usually because the author wants that character to appear in another novel. Uh, other than that, you usually like this sense of finality. But let me go back just for a minute to the topic of the ordinary killer, the person who flies under the radar because they're just a, quote, regular person. In my Alexa Williams series, the ordinary hidden villain is one of my major themes uh, that I use. Uh, in Dead of Autumn, um, my first book, I use a quotation uh, from W.H. Auden from his poem called Herman Melville, um, and that's one of the epigraphs at the beginning of the book that sort of lays out this whole idea. The quote is, evil is unspectacular and always human and shares our bed and eats at our own table. I believe that dealing with that type of villain can be very interesting, that ordinary villain. Um, for example, 14%, well, not only interesting, it, it's also um, accurate because it, it reflects real life. 14% of all homicides are from intimate partner violence. 70% of these deaths were women and 30% were males. Some of the wildly successful women authors in recent years have elements of this ordinary person villain in, in their um, great novels. The girl books are the ones that I'm thinking of. You know, the girl books, Girl on the Train, Gone Girl, and so on and so forth. Well, that leads me to the next question. What other techniques do authors use to paint a picture of the villain? Well, setting can be important, and it can tell us much about the criminal, both directly as a part of his or her development and also to foreshadow the future. 
the dark forest or creepy haunted houses or abandoned buildings are all common settings for villains. Um, for example, in Heather Gudendorf's Not a Sound, her protagonist, the nurse, she loses her hearing in an accident, and she learns to adapt with a dog uh, named Stitch. And until she discovers a murder victim, uh, a nurse she knew near her isolated cabin in the woods, uh, which leads her to suspect the murderer is stalking her. Another example where setting plays an important role in defining a villain appears in a book I recently read. It's Charles and Beverly Connors' popular Creek Mysteries, where a seemingly mad scientist dispatches his enemies in a chemical lab at the Oak Ridge Federal Research Site, which is an actual place. And it's an eerie and sinister setting. Another area that authors use to develop the villains can be good jobs or their areas of expertise. In my crime cases, a spree killer escapes detection because he knows the social system and in part to the legal system and seems to be able to live a normal life on the surface. And then in another example that comes to mind is Michael Connolly's The Poet, where his reporter is the protagonist and his name is James McAvoy. And he says, my beat is death. Isn't that a grand introduction? It's just one of the scariest villains of the genre, whose savage and brutal sadistic methods target and kill cops, and perhaps the scariest villain I have ever encountered. And of course, you know, the methods in which the villain dispatches his victims is another trait that authors use to distinguish their character. There are literally thousands of villains torture, maim, and murder people, and nearly thousands of authors weighing in on the subject. I seem to have lost my (laughs) place. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, from the, the comfortable cozies to the nail-biting so- psychos, mystery fans will choose their favorite or sometimes perhaps try a new author and lose ourselves in someone else's mis- misfortune. Um, you know, with all these fiendish villains that authors invent, you might get the impression that we're pretty scary or twisted people. Um, a lot of times uh, people will walk up to me and say, oh, wow, you look a, a lot more uh, normal than I expected. Uh, and, and it turns out that most of us are pretty typical, everyday people, um, you know, perhaps with a little bit of imagination. Uh, although a number of people in law enforcement end up writing suspense novels, the rest of us actually have little direct experience with either villains or violence or murder. So we often turn to experts who study the criminal mind. Abnormal psych textbooks can give good summaries, examples, and, and sources of the dominant studies and profiles of aberrations in mental health. Um, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is now in its fifth edition, um, has a, a compendium of short of uh, psychological disorders, for example. Um, I've used Catherine Ramsland's The Criminal Mind, 
a writer's guide to forensic psychology, which covers psychological assessment and consulting, mental disorders, and the risk assessment of the criminal. Uh, another tech, good text, Ghosts from the Nursery, which traces the roots of violence. It's by Robin Carr Morris and Meredith Wiley. It delves into the depths of research studies of violent individuals from infancy to adulthood with actual case studies of children who faced abuse, neglect, rejection, violent treatment from parents, addicted to drugs and alcohol. And those who entered the foster system also um, had some uh, difficulty, let's just say, in adjusting. Uh, Another short text that I use is called Psych Notes by Darlene Peterson. It has been a very valuable resource, and it provides thumbnail sketches of psychological abnormalities, their causes and treatment. And plus, more recent studies suggest that head injuries like TBI uh, can lead to aggression and violence as well as alter the brain's chemistry, affect DNA, and pass that aggression on to the next generation. So, you know, one way to for authors uh, to try to help formulate the character of their villain uh, is this type of, of research, um, and, and that can definitely um, lend our mysteries and suspense novels realism. Um, unfortunately, these days, watching the news is, is another source uh, of, uh, of information um, about bad guys. Uh, but in an earlier podcast, we'd also mentioned interviews with experts um, as a source of research about all sorts of things, and it's equally true um, about researching villains. Psychologists, nurses, doctors, forensic scientists are excellent people to consult. Um, I know I've spoken to, as I write my books, uh, to state and local police. I've written, uh, I've had a few conversations on one book with some experts on human trafficking. Uh, judges uh, have have helped me with other aspects of the books. Um, for my upcoming uh, book, Dead a Winner, uh, a juvenile court judge let me sit in on a series of juvenile hearings. Uh, none of these kids, luckily, uh, true villain category. But but that direct observation gave me a real sense of, of how lost and clueless some of the kids in the justice system can be, you know, that they find their way into the justice system. But, you know, every do- that, that works for me. Um, experts, um, you know, Jody does a lot of, of book research, as, as do I. Um, but every author works differently. Uh, You know, some may need to interview an inmate on death row before they write about villains. Um, Another can prefer reading books or interviewing experts. A third might invent the villain out of whole cloth and just conjure the character out of their own imagination. The only wrong method to invent a villain is when the character fails to grip the reader's imagination. Well, um, I hope you've enjoyed hearing about some of the work that goes on behind the scenes in developing villains uh, and, you know, making them as frightening or threatening as possible. 
I, I think all mystery readers love a good villain uh, who wreaks havoc on his victims, uh, one we feel justified and abhorring enough for the authorities to apprehend and put away from the rest of us law-abiding citizens. But sometimes, as I said earlier, the killer escapes to kill again, leaving protagonists racing against a human ticking time bomb to try and stop him. These types in the novels will often leave clues or messages to taunt the authorities, to belittle their efforts because of his sense of superiority um, that assures him he will not be caught. So we can close our mystery book and go to sleep soundly, knowing we are these are safe, we are safe from these fictional murderers. Well, unless we can't, because the author portrayed <laughs> them as an aberration or a monster like Frankenstein or a Ted Bundy, or the book could parallel actual events so well that we lie awake thinking about the consequences, like, um, like the end of the world. Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, and Origin for that matter, kept me up, awake thinking, could this really happen? What are the consequences of such an event, such a desperate villain? We just have to get the next book and keep continue reading. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> we we hope that uh, you know the villains are put away, but the other important role of mystery and suspense books, as Jody says, are to you know. Pro- sort of promote those thought-provoking questions. On that note, uh, we've reached the end of today's podcast. A reminder to all of you readers, our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. And a special thanks to all of you out there listening to Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program will be on Thursday, December 6th, um, and we will have the next podcast, and we hope that you will tune in then. And, Sherry, thanks for picking up my drop, Lord. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. it's uh, back and forth here. Yeah. Uh, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed the show. Um Until the next podcast, you can follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.SherryNolton.com, plus Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on Facebook, too, facebook.com backslash crime cases by J.M. West. And please visit my new website for more detail on the Snow McCoy Mysteries. It's CarlisleCrimeCases.com. And thanks for tuning in. Goodbye. And have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Mm.